Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. A study in this month's issue of AJMC took a look at differences in coverage of orphan and non-orphan drugs to get insight into variation in orphan drug coverage across the largest commercial plans in the U.S. The study, which analyzed a data set of private health plan coverage decisions for specialty drugs in three ways, found that health plans restrict access to orphan drugs about one-third of the time and that restrictions vary across plans. To get more insight into the findings and the reasons behind these trends, we sat down with Dr. James Chambers, Associate Professor of Medicine at Tufts Medical Center Institute for Clinical Research and Health Policy Studies. So the first question I had for you was really to get an idea of what was the objective of your research and why did you decide to study this particular topic? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, orphan drugs pose a particular challenge to health plans, and really what we were trying to do was examine how health plans are responding to this challenge. Now, historically, health plans have been able to absorb the costs of the relatively few available orphan drugs into the budgets. However, there's a growing number of orphan drugs, and their larger budget impact, therefore, likely means that health plans are more likely to apply restrictions to orphan drugs in the future. Now, what we are trying to do is to examine how health plans are behaving today, and are they beginning to add the type of utilization management tools and restrictions that you would see for non-orphan drugs. And we thought that this was important um, for, the medical, for the medical community to understand. Um, and for us to really determine, are health plans applying these restrictions to orphan drugs as frequently as they do for non-orphan drugs? Now, we had three specific objectives for this study, and it was quite a big study. First was to compare how often health plans applied coverage restrictions in their coverage decisions for orphan and non-orphan drugs. Now, what we mean by restriction in this case is how often does a health plan apply what we had referred to as a patient subgroup restriction, meaning that only patients that meet certain clinical criteria have access to the product. And another example of a restriction would be a step edit or step therapy protocol, meaning that a health plan requires a patient to have failed a cheaper alternative before they have access to a particular product. So the first question was, thinking about these restrictions, do health plans apply restrictions more often or less often for orphan drugs compared to non-orphan drugs. The second question was to look at variation across the 17 health plans that we include in our database or this analysis. So to see if all health plans were behaving the same way when it comes to coverage of orphan medications. And the third and final part of this work, so the third objective, was to perform a multivariate regression analysis to examine what factors were associated with restricted orphan drug coverage. So what attributes of orphan drugs maybe lead them to more likely be restricted by the included health plans. And just for a little more background, so what necessarily constitutes an orphan drug? And maybe you can go into what this pathway looks like from the FDA, how it's approved and stuff like that. Of course. Well, an orphan drug is a drug that is indicated for rare disease, as I'm sure most people listening to this would know. And specifically, it's a disease with a, a prevalence in the U.S. of less than 200,000 patients. 
if a drug is indicated for disease with a, with a prevalence of less than 200,000, the FDA would categorize it or assign it orphan status. Um, now, this is beneficial um, in a number of ways to product manufacturers because it allows them to expedite um, FDA approval. Um, and also, once it reaches the market, uh, once the drug reaches the market, uh, orphan drugs tend to be um, more costly than non-orphan drugs. So manufacturers, you know, at least in the U.S., are able to uh, charge more for the orphan products. And so now looking back on your research, what was the data source that you used to get this information that you used for the study? So we used a database which we maintain here at CBER, which is the Center for the Evaluation of Value and Risk in Health and Tufts Medical Center here in Boston. So it's an especially drug evidence and coverage database, or SPEC, as we call it. So this is a large database of um, the 17 of the largest 20 commercial health plans coverage decisions for specialty medications. And in this database, we captured two types of data primarily. One is how the health plans cover the, the, the drugs or the specialty drugs in the database. So in other words, what is the patient population that the, that the health plans cover the product for? And secondly, we capture the evidence that health plans cite in those coverage decisions in the database as well. So the source of this database is all the publicly available coverage policies that health plans would post on their websites. Um, and as I mentioned about the restrictions in this database, what we do is we compare how the health plan covers a drug with how the FDA has approved the drug. And that allows us to capture any of those patient subgroup restrictions or step therapy protocols that the health plan would apply to that um, coverage decision that would go beyond the FDA label. So what were the findings and what do you think they tell us about how plans prioritize different factors in their drug coverage decisions? Okay, so uh, like I said, we had, we had three objectives here. Um, to, to start, I guess we I should say we had five thousand coverage decisions in the sample for this. Twenty-two hundred were orphan drug coverage decisions, and twenty-eight hundred were for non-orphan drugs. So overall, with two hundred and four drugs included in this, because we look at each drug for each of its indications separately. Um, an example of that would be Embril. Which, is, which the FDA has approved for five indications, so it's features five times in the database. So analysis included 186 drug indication pairs and 223 non-orphan drug indication pairs. So that was the sample. So overall, when we compared orphan drugs and non-orphan drugs, we found that orphan drugs were covered much more generously than the non-orphan drugs in the sample. So for the non-orphan drugs, so those drugs indicated for diseases larger than 200,000, we find 50% of the time health plans would apply restrictions and coverage decisions. Now, we, when we looked, at non, uh, we looked at orphan drugs, we, we found that they applied coverage restrictions roughly 30% of the time. So health plans are covering orphan drugs more generously than they are more prevalent drugs or, the, or rather than non-orphan drugs. The second objective was to look at variation across health plans. And interestingly, we found wide variation in health plan behavior. We found that some health plans or one health plan applied coverage restrictions in 11% of the coverage decisions for orphan drugs. And the other end of the spectrum, one health plan applied restrictions 65% of the time, so 65% of the orphan drug decisions. 
So this variation is very important. It means that patients' access to orphan medications seems to be in large part determined by their insurance company. And that means obviously that physicians who are treating patients have to not just treat patients in line with the clinical presentation, but also in line with the patient's insurance coverage. So this variation across these large commercial health plans, I think, is, is, is notable, to say the least. So for the third objective then, we were trying to figure out or determine what factors or attributes of these orphan drugs were associated with restricted drug coverage. So to do so, we developed a multi-level random effect logistic model. Now, all that means is that we were examining the relationship between the independent variables or the drug attributes with the likelihood of restricted coverage when controlling for the fact that different health plans are making those decisions. So when we look at those different variables in the analysis, we find some striking findings. The first is that orphan drugs that are indicated for a non-cancer indication. So we have cancer, we have the cancer and non-cancer indications in the data set. So those drugs indicated for non-cancer indications were much more likely to be restricted than drugs indicated for a cancer, which is also an orphan drug. So cancer, uh, drugs indicated for cancer are covered much more generously than drugs indicated for non-cancer. We also found that health plans much more often applied coverage restrictions for drugs that had alternatives. Now, that makes sense to me. If a health plan is covering a drug for patients for whom they determine drug to be medically, nece- uh, medically necessary, well, then the lack of available alternatives, I think, would meet that criterion of medical necessity and, you know, payers would be more likely to cover that drug in line with the label and not add restrictions. Interestingly, we find that health plans more often applied coverage restrictions to self-administered orphan drugs compared to physician-administered orphan drugs. Now, the reason for that is confusing to me. I mean, I, I do think it's unclear, but it certainly suggests that health plans are, are more intensely managing drugs that they may be covering through the pharmacy benefit than their medical benefit, which I think is, uh, which I think is notable. Finally, uh, we had two variables which point to health plans maybe being sensitive to the budget impact associated with orphan medications. We found that drugs indica- orphan drugs indicated for diseases of higher prevalence were more likely to be restricted than orphan drugs indicated for lower prevalence condition. So in other words, even though orphan drugs are all indicated for diseases of less than 200,000 patients in the U.S., we saw sensitivity there by the payer in that they covered drugs indicated for higher prevalence diseases much more often than they did for low prevalence diseases. Now, the reason for that may be budget impact, because we find a similar finding when we looked at annual cost. So when we looked at the annual cost of the orphan drugs in the sample, we found that those drugs with the highest annual costs were much more likely to be restricted than drugs with lower annual costs. Again, I think pointing towards the fact that budget impact is maybe influencing just how health plans are behaving for these products. Do you think the findings would be similar or different if you looked at this based on public payers? That's a very good question. And just to emphasize here that what we looked at were commercial health plans, so the larger you know, employer-based insurance, I guess. Now, would these fines be different if we looked at Medicare or Medicaid? Well, I think those payers still have the same issues that the commercial plans have and that they're trying to absorb the high cost of these orphan drugs into the budgets. So maybe we would see similar findings, although 
like I said, is somewhat unclear. We do hope to examine coverage decisions in the Medicare Advantage program in the future, so that will maybe provide an insight into that. Right. And how do you think the patterns of orphan drug coverage will change as more of these drugs become available and their budget impact grows? Yeah, so I think that is a that is another great question. And our study, I hope, provides a window into what we can expect to see in the future. I mean, in 2018, 58% of the drugs approved by the FDA were orphan drugs. And that, you know, that was very high, but the number was quite consistent in previous years too. So we're seeing more and more of these. Um, an estimate was that we have 25 to 30 million Americans living with an orphan disease. So there's great potential for many more orphan drugs to enter the market. We also see that the types of drugs that have been approved is changing. So we're seeing the beginning of cell and gene therapies entering the market, which tend to be at least so far to be indicated for orphan diseases. So I think the trend's going to continue in that we're going to see maybe more expensive orphan drugs, more orphan drugs entering the market, and health plans face an increasing challenge of how to absorb these, the cost of these products into, the, into their um, budgets. Now, one way for health plans to control the influx of these um, orphan drugs is through careful coverage of the products, meaning that they're covering the product in a manner that's most consistent with the strength of support and evidence and so on. And if that is the case, I think that we will see increasing restrictions on these types of products in the future. I think it's just a fact of the, the budgetary pressures we face. Now, a confounder of that may be how we we reimburse these products or pay for these products, and that may also change. And if we see more pay for performance, so risk sharing agreements, outcomes based agreements, that may be another approach to better absorbing the cost of these treatments. But I still think that at the coverage level, we will see some of the same findings that I've pointed out in, in the are identified in the study, meaning that health plans will carefully cover them and tend to cover the drugs where the, where the evidence is most compelling, say. What are your plans for future research in this area? Well, I think this is an area worth studying, and we are going to continue to scrutinize what's going on in this space. One thing I would like to do is to expand this work to not only look at the budget impact of these products, but the cost effectiveness of these products, because I'm a big believer that health plans should be prioritizing the most cost-effective products in terms of how they cover these. So that is a question that we hope to examine in the future. Another question I hope to look at in the future is to take this subset of these orphan drug decisions that are restricted in some way and to more closely examine those restrictions. We did so in the paper that will be published in the American Journal of Managed Care shortly, but to really look at those restrictions much more closely. So what I mean by that is a patient subgroup restriction, Not so to not just determine whether there is a patient subgroup restriction, but rather exactly what is that patient subgroup restriction, and more so is that restriction consistent with the clinical trial population in the registration study. So again, trying to better understand why health plans are applying certain types of restrictions in their decisions. Is there anything else you think is important to bring or mention that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I think this study is it's part of a larger set of studies which we are performing here at the Center for the Evaluation of Volume Risk and Health and Tufts Medical Center. Uh, you know, we I think that this payer world, this payer coverage 
aspect of, of healthcare is becoming increasingly important in the US, and it's something that we expect and plan to study much more in the future. Specifically, I think transparency of decision-making is important. I don't think, for instance, that, that every payer should be making identical decisions, that every health plan should be making identical decisions. But I do think that health plans should be making decisions consistent with the strength of the support and evidence base and potentially cost-effectiveness as well. And what I hope with this work and this study as part of this work is that we will, through this, we'll be making or maybe shedding some light on how these decisions are made and hopefully in the future make these decisions more transparent. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about the study with me. No, thank you for your time and thank you for including me in this. Much appreciated. To read the study, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.